Daniel chapter 1 this morning. Daniel chapter 1, thank you for that. It's great to see everybody back again. I trust you had a wonderful Christmas time, extra time uh, to spend with family and uh, time with the Lord. Often during the Christmas break, it's a good time to assess the past and make plans and preparations for the future. And I trust you've had some time to do that, to uh, be thankful for what the Lord has done and be excited about what he can do in our lives and in these days ahead and in this generation. I'm going to talk a little bit about that this morning, Daniel chapter 1, familiar verse. We'll look at a few other verses along the way here with it as well, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Verse 12, uh, the request is to prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. And then the product of this is in verse 17. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. One of our hymns asks a question. This is why it's a very effective hymn, I think. Uh, The question that the hymn asks is, must Jesus bear the cross alone? Um, Later on in that hymn, The statement is made this, the consecrated crown I will wear, I'll wear. The consecrated crown I'll wear. Um, Every generation stands in need uh, of Christians that have the trait, I'm just going to call it rare consecration. It would be nice if it wasn't rare but the fact of the matter is, throughout history, um, consecration is rare. There's a lot of times in the Bible that the Lord points out the fact of discipleship. And rarely, maybe never, are the disciples listed or described as ones that are going to be in the, in the majority in, in any setting. Um, for the thousands that enjoyed the loaves and fishes, there weren't really any around him at the time of his crucifixion, and just a small group of 120 when he uh, ascended to heaven and started uh, that prayer meeting there in the book of Acts. And so consecration is rare. And the fact of the matter is, I believe it's always going to be that way. Consecration will always be rare. But I'm going to challenge you in this way. There are places where it can be in the majority. And my prayer is that in this college uh, that I love, the consecration would be the majority, that it would not be uncommon. But for it to get to that place is not a decision that a group makes. It's a decision, as always, that we as individuals make. We make that decision now, 
And then we answer before the Lord as individuals at the judgment seat one day based on what our decision about this matter of consecration was while we're on this earth. Consecration's rare because there's so many alternatives to it. There's far more alternatives to consecration than there are uh, opportunities to just be and live and embrace and love a consecrated life. For that reason, it's rare. The number four was mentioned in one of the verses that I just read. Four is not very many. I don't know the exact number that were taken from Jerusalem on the 500-mile uh, trip to Babylon, but a lot more than four made that trip. But the Lord, through inspiration, tells us about four that said, in essence, we are going to live a consecrated life, whether in Jerusalem or in Babylon. Can we live for the Lord in our Babylon of 2023. I think these four men are a testimony and encouragement that we absolutely can, but it's individual decision. No group involved with this. Some like to think of the later when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their new names, uh, stood uh, while everyone else bowed at the, uh, at the uh, great idol uh, image that Nebuchadnezzar has made. I don't know that that's the case. I like to picture the fact that they were spread out among that huge crowd and that when those instruments began to play, that here's Shadrach, way over there, <laughs> Meshach, and then way off in the distance, there stood Abednego. In other words, they didn't need necessarily to be standing right beside the other one in order to do what's right. They had made an independent, personal decision about consecration. The same decision that you and I will make today. Rare consecra uh, consecration. The word rare simply means not frequent. It also, though, has another meaning, and that's this. Unusually excellent. He got a rare find in the used bookstore. He found a book that he'd been looking for, or that's a rare jewel. And because it's rare, it's what? Very valuable, very desired, very special. Rare, uncommon, yes. And I think for too many of us as Christians in this world, that idea of being uncommon is enough for us to say, uh, to count me out. I don't want that feeling of being uncommon, or maybe in our vernacular we would say not fitting in. But when we understand the word rare, it means also something unusually excellent. We begin to understand what the Lord views as one that is consecrated to him. Uncommon, yes. In a bad way, no. Unusually excellent. Something seldom found. The word consecration simply means the act or ceremony of separating from a common use to a sacred one. Something that's sacred is something that's holy. 
and this consecration is the act of making a decision that this will no longer be common, this will be holy. We most often think about consecration as it relates to our own lives and the choices that we make about whether our lives and our all that goes into who we are will be common or will be sacred. The word devotion comes into play with this as well. Rare consecration. I'd like to consider that phrase with some Bible people as well as starting off with one example uh, from Baptist history. One of the easiest jobs I've ever had here is having to study for and read up for my Baptist history class. Okay, other stuff might have been difficult and a drudge and, and, you know, sign the grind and going through monotonous things. I don't know how I fell into that uh, responsibility now uh, 18 years ago, uh, but it's been one of the easiest things that I've had to do, study and prepare for Baptist history class, because what it has done is allowed me to be in the uh, lives of extremely consecrated people throughout history, not living with them, but through the record of history, seeing who they were and what choices they made in order to be that type of a person. And it starts often in these accounts with young boys and young girls that followed in the footsteps of their godly homes and were committed, some during family devotions, to whatever the Lord wanted. And for many of them, that meant they became pastors, pastors, wives, missionaries, missionary wives. For others, faithful, serving laymen in churches throughout all ages. For others, uh, it meant that they responded to a certain sermon, and that sermon absolutely shook them up. And they, from that point of that sermon and the, and the decision that they made based on it, were never the same person again. Somewhere along the line, every single one of the people that we talk about in the course of our Baptist history class has come to this point of decision themselves. And they faced the issue of consecration. They had to understand that there are some misconceptions about consecration. We hear that word sometimes. I remember some of these words. I'm like, oh, that's a, that's a word that seems a little heavy or a little deep. And so for some people, they hear the word consecration and they think, well, that just equals being weird. If I'm consecrated, that means I have to be weird. And so for some, they turn off the idea of consecration because surely the Lord doesn't want me to be weird. And then they listen to these other voices that come in and say things like, weird people can't reach people for Christ. So I need to be a little bit more of this world so I can be a little less weird so I can reach people. That's a misconception that a person has to be weird to be consecrated. It's a common thing used with many of the progressive um, modern-day churches, and they've fed that to their people 
And often the people are like, yay, that means this big load of the world that I also love right now, I can keep and also serve God at the same time. There was a Bible character who had not quite rare consecration. I think he was a consecrated guy, but he listened to some of these things. His name was Lot. In time, his incomplete consecration revealed itself in a way that he would have never chosen or never imagined. Another misconception of consecration is that this idea that if I'm consecrated, I will miss out. I'm going to miss out on someone. I'm going to miss out on who knows. Maybe a young lady says, I'm going to miss out on getting married. Maybe a guy says, I'm going to miss out on a lot of fun that I'd like to have. I'm going to miss out, miss out on, I'm going to miss out on something, some adventure, some excitement. I'm going to miss out. For that reason, I'll pass this idea of consecration. Others think, you know, if I'm consecrated, that means I'm going to be alone. I'm going to be alone. And for that, I will say that's probably not a misconception, but it needs refined a little bit. You'll never be alone because the Lord is never going to leave you nor forsake you. Even if you are alone at times with people uh, in this world, you will never be alone. And then lastly, saw another misconception. There's more, but just to get us thinking, some may say it's just not possible at this time in history to be consecrated. It's just not possible with all that's going on, with all that's in our hands, with our phones and our computers. It's just not even possible to genuinely be consecrated. And so why try? Why attempt something that's an impossibility? Reading a book I just got, sorry, Baptist history students, you get repeats of a lot of stuff in here, but um, a book written by a lady, uh, Laura Carson, who went with her husband to, it's called Pioneer Trails, Trials, and Triumphs, and uh, she went with her husband in the, soon after the Civil War over to an area in northern Burma, uh, not really with the Burmese people, but a, a unique people group called the Chins, uh, there were zero Christians in that mountainous, remote part of the country. They went over there as a younger couple and set to work. And the work, the, the results, what happened, I'm going to tell you this. How about this? How about if you read the book, and then you'll find out what happened. Um, but maybe you'll be like me and, and not be able to put it down. Uh, where you walk in the footsteps of uh, a lady who gave her life to the Lord, and the Lord led her to a like-minded man, and they forsook their all, even so much as when they were getting to their mission station in the remote area, the few trunks of items that she had kept with her, of course, overturned in the river, and she watched them float away. And God often will take just about everything away from someone when they say, I am going to be consecrated to the Lord. 
and then he is going to give them back so much more. He is going to change the desires of their heart to those things that they thought they had to have or that relationship or that person that they thought they could never do without. On the other side of full consecration, our delights and our love are altered in such a way that we now love the life that the Lord has laid out for us. And literally the thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people that um, Arthur and Laura Carson saw come to know the Lord through their evangelism and training of national pastors. What do you think one day in heaven if the Lord presses repeat on that small boat that one day and her three trunks of supplies of things that she brought from America went down to the bottom of the river and then he pressed play on the maybe hundreds of thousands of people that have an eternal home in heaven? What assessment do you think Laura Carson would make at that time? That's the miraculous happenings when one person is fully consecrated to the Lord. And that's just one picture of thousands throughout history. Many of we'll never know about because people didn't write about them or they didn't write about themselves. That's fine. But mark it down. The Lord keeps good records, doesn't he? He keeps perfect records. So whether it's written down about or not, or whether somebody, whether they make it into a Baptist history class or not, the Lord's got that record down. He sees that very, very clearly. Daniel here purposed in verse 8, made his decision to live a life of consecration. This involved verse 12, as we read, a time of proving. The Lord will test that. The Lord will prove our consecration. He'll prove it through uh, things that appeal to our flesh, things that make life easier, though they're not right in this, these guys' case. He'll prove it by friends because there are times when two can't no longer walk together because they're just not agreed. And so as a result of this faith in the commitment to being rare, and the minority, the product in verse 17, the Bible says, as for these four, man, wouldn't it be neat if the number was eight? Or if the number was something like half, like a percentage, like half of everyone that came out of Jerusalem did this, or most? It's rare consecration. I think if it was most, it wouldn't, be a time of testing. It wouldn't really reveal what we are. It would reveal the fact that we just, it's easier to go with the larger group. And it is easier, always, to go with whatever larger group. But that's not rare consecration. The product here was wisdom and knowledge and skill, and we know how God took Daniel and used him uh, in the reign of multiple kingdoms. I won't turn there, but Paul, a couple times in his writings, 
once to the Philippians and once in Second Timothy talks about being offered and being an offering. And those words in a couple of those places talk about a drink offering. A drink offering is pretty. It was it was pretty um, uh, pretty fast and and pretty uh, pretty final. A drink offering was just something that was poured out. And he talks about the fact that that's what his life was for the Lord. It was just something poured out. That was it. In other words, it was not his. It was given as an offering to the Lord, I think, of Mary, when we think of this type of consecration as well, right? She brought her alabaster box. What was that? Tied up in that alabaster box. Symbolic of that was everything that was dear to her. And she brought it, and she poured it on the Lord and gave it to him. Those around her thought she was odd, right, for doing that. That doesn't make sense. That's weird. You're missing out. You'll be alone. That's not possible to do that right now. You could use that for something far more valuable. Boy, that's what the devil's telling all of us all the time. You can use your life for something uh, better than this than just pouring it out. It was rare. She did that alone. She didn't take a survey. It wasn't a group of even four that time. It was one. Consecration. Daniel, Paul, Mary of Bethany. The Lord keeps very good records with regard to these things. Rare consecration, those that make that choice, they're precious, Psalm 135. They're honorable. They can live in honor and not in the shadows or not trying to get away with this or that. They're people of honor or integrity, those of rare consecration. They can fill out a weekly report like this and know in their heart, know in their heart that they're being honest. Rare consecration. They're prudent. The Bible says that they're prudent. I've got verses for this, but just for the sake of time, prudence is a great word. They have vision. A person that is, has rare consecration, they have good insight. In other words, they see themselves honestly. And they have good foresight. They see the future in the way that the Lord sees it. Insight. Foresight. They're people of brave heroism. Heroes don't come out from the larger group. They come out from the small group or alone, which is why Joshua and Caleb, when they went into the land, came back with a spirit of brave heroism, resting and trusting in the Lord's words, as opposed to the others that came back and said, we're what? Scared and we can't. But the consecration of Caleb, whose name means wholehearted, followed him his whole life. And when he's an old guy, he's looking for a mountain to, to conquer. I promise you this, the reward 
for committing to rare consecration, you may see a small return on that today, but your return on that in your future life is going to be more than what you could ever possibly imagine right now. The Lord rewards rare consecration. He rewarded that with Caleb in Numbers chapter 14. Look at Daniel, just a couple, uh, couple of pages over. Daniel chapter 5 and verse 12. Daniel's early life decision enabled him to carry something with him that so few have as they grow older in their Christian lives or in their following of God. Look at chapter 5 and verse 12. For as much as an excellent spirit in knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences, he must have been in like English composition or something there. Dissolving of doubts were found in Daniel. I love that first statement. In this man who committed to consecration as a young man, as he got older, he had an excellent spirit. Now that is something that I promise you this, you will find invaluable as you age. And I promise you this too. There's a lot of things that will come into your life that will challenge that excellent spirit. And if you're so-so, if you're double-minded with regard to following God or following the world, one thing you will lose is an excellent spirit as you grow older in your Christian life. Some form of a sin of the flesh, frequently it's bitterness, will grab a hold of you. And with such a grip, this can be very hard to let go. What a tremendous reward there is for rare consecration. The righteous, Proverbs 28.1, are bold as a lion. Lastly, consecration, rare consecration, produces happy people. I've got several verses here as well. Happy people are consecrated people. Another lie that the devil will say, if you just go all in, with your life consecrated to the work and the service of God, outside appearance as well as within the heart, you're going to lose your happiness. Because look at others. Look how unhappy they are. All I can say about that is, yeah, you're looking at the wrong people. Okay? I'll say this. There's someone here right now. You're in some trials. God still can bring miraculously joy through those time of trials for those that are just consecrated, wholly consecrated to the Lord. It will bring you through times of trials. Happy people. What are the steps? What are the steps to rare consecration? Here's a few. Number one, these are all simple, but pursue godliness. Pursue it. Go after it. Often we are going to get what we allow our hearts to pursue after. If we want to do wrong and we don't push that thought aside, we'll begin to act on it and we will find a way to get that, right? If you're hungry enough, guys, 
food will be found. I mean, how many of us have satisfied our hunger Sunday afternoon at 1.45, just before sweeping the bus with a pile of gummy worms? Because desperate times call for desperate measures. That always bodes well for the evening service, doesn't it? A nice full stomach of gummy worms. Yum. However, sometimes that's what's called for. I've got to satisfy this hunger now. Pursue godliness like that. Pursue it. Let yourself be in a place where you hunger and thirst after righteousness. Because God has a promise for you if you'll do that. You will be filled. Hunger and thirst. You know what that means, to hunger and thirst after something? That means we have to kind of put ourselves in that position. Because in 2023, good old USA, about got what we want. And it's very convenient. It's at the very convenient. So we have to work. Many Christians throughout history, most, they didn't have to work at being in place of desperate need. Their lives put them in that place. Oh, the danger for us is that we become Laodiceans, rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. I've got everything I need. Why do I need anything else? I think the Bible talks about prayer and fasting. Took away some of those things. So we feel that hunger. We feel that thirst. And then we pursue godliness. Number two, take heed of the world. Take heed of the world. First John 2.15, it wants you to love it. It's going to make itself appear lovable. It's going to deceive. Take heed of the world and all of its tentacles. Number three, direct your thoughts to holiness. Isn't most of the battle in our mind? Do you find that? Most of the battle is in your mind. It is for me. What I find myself, my thoughts drifting to thinking about, man, that's the battle. So direct your thoughts. Put your thoughts on a leash and don't let the dog do the walking, right? If you had that dog before, your dog takes you for a walk, all right? Bad dog, bad owner, right? They can be trained, almost all of them, except the one that you have that can't be trained, right? But I love them anyway. Direct your thoughts. Don't let them get away from you. They'll get away, and they'll be a guide that will mislead you. One guy said this, boy, if we could spend 30, day, 30 minutes a day thinking about our soul and about eternity, we'd be different Christians. Just a small 30 minutes per day. How do I find 30 minutes? Now be honest with yourself. You can find 30 minutes. So can I. That's a great, that's a great uh, payback for a mere 30 minutes a day, thinking about my soul, thinking about eternity. Number four, watch, watch, watch. Exclamation point, watch. As Jesus said to his disciples, watch your heart. Watch it. Because your heart has a thousand doors through which you can escape to get away from being consecrated to the Lord. A thousand doors. That's the easy thing to do. Keep your heart. Watch your heart. Be on the lookout for your heart. That's where prudence comes in. A person 
that is a person of rare consecration gets the benefit of prudence. They have insight into what their heart is doing and what it's saying. Guard, watch. Watch your heart. Number five, make how you spend your time a matter of conscience. Not necessarily, I have to do this because I'm told that I've got to do this at this time. Yes, take care of those things. Those are called responsibilities. But take care of how you spend the rest of your time by making it a matter of your conscience. That's not going to leave you. That's going to go with you all day long in the time that you're doing what you're told to do and when you're not. Make it a matter of redeeming the time. That's for me. That's for you as an individual. Make it a matter of conscience. Have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Number six, think of your short stay on this world. Think about it. I'll be honest with you. Whether this is a concession, a confession, uh, or a good thing, I don't know. It's just what it is. But the last several months, maybe year, most mornings, most mornings, my first thought is, when I wake up, is that's one day I don't get back, one day closer to eternity. Most mornings. So I don't know what to make of that other than the fact than this. We all have short stays down here. We're all just a passing through pilgrim. Don't set your tent up. Be consecrated and be willing to be rare in that. You set your tent up, then we've lost our purpose for why we're here. Number seven, you were made, you were made for godliness. You were made for godliness. Anything short of that is to refuse the purpose for which God has made you. When you embrace and allow sin, you are refusing the purpose for which the almighty God made you. And then number eight, be regularly among godly people. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. Let's go ahead and stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. In just a moment, we'll have our time of invitation. Certainly, there'll be a lot of invitations through the course of this semester, but the Lord laid this heart, this on my heart for this first message because I can't help but think what a wonderful thing it would be for consecration among our group to not be rare, to be what we encourage each other in, to be what we demonstrate and model for each other, whether in chapel, in class, in the Red Fox Cafe, in the dorms, between classes, on our ministries, out on our passes, and on our phones. The majority. But in the end, consecration is rare, and it's individual. I challenge you to make your consecration to God sure.
this morning. You may or may not be in the majority. That's not the issue. The issue is what will you do? Will you be one of the four as Daniel and his friends were? Maybe you'll be willing to be one of the one like Mary was. Rare consecration is not about the response of others. It's very, very personal. And the Lord, he's good. He makes that person happy. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, you know how much we love each student here. Lord, and certainly in every student, there's uh, blessings and difficulties and trials uh, at any given time during the course of this semester. There'll be things to be excited about. There'll be things that we need to pray about. But Lord, I pray that underlying all of that would be a lot of young people who say, count me in. I'll be willing to embrace rare consecration to my Lord. The instruments play if the Lord has dealt in your heart. You do business with him.